How many of us get glittering drag queens to rescue us? <laughs> you know, you might be surprised. You just never know. You just never know. Oh, goodness, are you ready to be happy? I thought that was a wonderful new song. Thank you, Gospel Ensemble. You want to be happy. When faith and hope are drowning, no telling what God will send you. No telling what God will send you. Oh, we want to be happy. I love that song and the way it, it kind of got back to the part of we try and try and sometimes we circle around the same way we went before. And then we're not sure, but we try and circle around that way again. And then we do it another time. And I like the way the song called it out and just kind of said, well, you know, if you keep circling the same way, it might just be a drain you're circling around. Right? And if you would want to be a little bit different in your life, you might need to consider changing. You might need to consider letting go of control a little bit and letting the Holy Spirit move in and through your life. And maybe that circle might not just be a circle anymore. It might be a path. It might be a path that leads us somewhere else where we haven't been before. But, you know, in order to be able to do that, you have to let go of that control piece of what we're familiar with. And I feel like these half-truths have all had to do with that that we've been talking about. The first one, you know, everyone, I mean, everything happens for a reason. You know, that's about, we like that because it helps us feel in control, I believe. And the second one, God helps those who help themselves. I think also we like that because that means we can have control. And today's the same thing. I believe it's about us being uncomfortable, uncomfortable with not knowing, uncomfortable with a little chaos, uncomfortable with mystery, which is what God and the Holy Spirit are, but uncomfortable enough with it. We would rather have some sayings that help us feel a little better but might not really help too much. See, the other thing I think all of these sayings do, if you really think about when they've been used in your life or maybe when you've used them, is they separate you from the person in need. They are sayings of separation because what we do is we can offer these words which we think are good words and then we can kind of walk away thinking we've done our job. God's never going to give you more than you can handle, sweetie. You'll do okay, pat, pat, bye-bye. You know? God helps those who help themselves put those boots on. Get up. Bye-bye. You know? Everything just happens for a reason. You just have to wait around and figure out what it is, and you'll know sooner or later. Bye-bye. You know? So these phrases, well, they may be heartfelt, and you might actually like and want to care for the person that's before you, tend to separate you from them because what they end up doing is saying, this is happening to you, but not me. You know, and something must be going on in your life to cause this to happen. So we know those well-meaning friends in the book of Job, this is the kind of stuff they said to Job. And he said, not so. And so here we are hearing these half-truths, and I want you to keep in mind that part of it is our discomfort with unknowing and part of it is wanting to not necessarily get connected too much. Because if we got connected just a little bit more, we might be called to do something. We might be called to help in a different way. We might be called to sacrifice something of ourselves if we did it. 
boy, if we look at them in the eye and maybe ask a little bit more of their story, it might be that we might just be there all afternoon, and what would we do if that happened? You know, so these stories help us with our chaos. These phrases help us keep ourselves separate from those we're trying to be good Christians with, but they just don't hit the mark. I think that we have such discomfort with all of this that we're willing to blame God for it. We're willing to blame anyone for it, right? Rather than take the accountability for ourselves of actually being agents of change in the world. You know, I appreciate one comedian who broke the glass ceiling by coming on the Flip Wilson show and talked about how the devil made him do it. And I want you to hear Flip Wilson in this skit. <laughs> oh, we know those stories. We may have told some ourselves. I didn't do it. You know, the devil made me do it. I didn't do it. Something out there made me do it. Sometimes you might even say, I didn't do it. God made me do it. Instead of 
claiming our own agency, our own power, our own decisions, and living up to what it means to have made the decisions that we made. We might try and look outside of ourselves for those times when we succumbed to those temptations of buying that dress. You know, our temptations, whatever those may be, and we each have our own. You probably have your own temptation. Our scripture verse this morning is talking about temptation, personal temptation. It's not talking about tragedy in someone's life. It's talking about our own battles with personal temptation. You know, you know temptation if you've ever been in the store and when you see Walter and I, my husband Walter and I, walk by the toy aisle. Walter disappears. <laughs> you know temptation. You know temptation if you see us walking down the store aisle and it's the kitchen supplies and gadgets aisle. Troy disappears. Have to go find it. We're still learning about what Michael, I'll Michael, this, the ends up on. But you know, in your own life, some of these things grab you. I have enough pots and pans. I have enough serving dishes. I have enough of all these things. But I go by that aisle and I just, oh, let's go see what's over there. <laughs> Maybe it's in a new pretty color. Oh, goodness gracious, what can we find to try out new in the kitchen? So these things come to us and draw us into that circle that we might just go on again until we come back around. They might just do that. And some things more serious, you may know what it means to want another drink or another fix or something else that's not good for your health or your family or your well-being or maybe the world. And you may know what it means to go around that circle again and again, and maybe you haven't released it enough to let God come into your life and maybe offer a different direction. And you might also say things like, well, God did that, or the devil did that. Some of these things are strong. They pull us aside. Materialism and consumerism in our country, in our world, is huge. It's huge. You'll be better, brighter, more beautiful if you just buy this. And we're sucked into doing it over and over again. Uh, in the movie Confessions of a Shopaholic, the main character actually put some barriers in the way of spending. And you might have done that too. You might know to call a sponsor or to um, check your checkbook before you go, to check the balance. You might know to do some of those things, but sometimes we even get around our own barriers. So once this person, it got too much for them, look what happens when the barrier did not work. Confessions of a Shopaholic. <laughs> so she even put her credit card in a block of ice and froze it. But you can do wonderful things with high heels in a hair dryer. You know, wonderful things with high heels in a hair dryer. So even sometimes the barriers we put in place, we find ways to get around them, that temptation. It's interesting in this passage, then Corinthians, Paul's not talking about um, difficulties in life and tragedies, but Paul does say... God is with you to find a way through your temptation, your own personal temptation. God is with you to find a way through it. 
So when we mistranslate this verse to say God won't give you more than you can handle, it's not talking about these huge challenges in life. It's talking about our own, our own challenges to be better persons, to find that transformation that we need in our lives. You might remember that Jesus was tempted. I call it his coming out story because he's the only one that could have told it. He went away in the desert, came back out after a while, and told people about the encounters he had and the temptations that he had, those things that called to him and that he said no to. We wouldn't even know that story except that Jesus told it in some way of that experience. But in so doing, Jesus said who he would be and who he would not be. It was a coming out story. But Jesus says, I was tempted. In the same old ways, y'all are tempted. Because the ways that Jesus said no to were the most common ways for us to be tempted. And Jesus just didn't get tempted at the beginning of his life. He got tempted at the end of his life, too. Okay, God, if you will, won't you take this cup away from me? I'll do what you need, but it sure would be nice if you took this cup away from me. Can't you just do that? But I'm here. I'm here. So Jesus knew what temptation was. Do you remember those stories in our scripture? He was able to say no to them and be willing to live into what God was going to do in his life. But, you know, sometimes our humanness is just so strong, I don't think we're much different than any of the rest of creation. You know, I have this little dog named Tip. That's a little beagle mix. You know, he's a little dog. He's a little dog. He likes to be wherever Walter and I just were. So if the pillow smells like us, that's where he is. If the shoe comes off, that's where he is. But his nose sort of leads him anywhere. Our veterinarian told us, watch out, because, you know, all training, all thinking goes out of the, of the skull once there's a smell that he has to chase and has to follow. And so what we've been experiencing recently is one of the latches on our pantry door isn't working well. And so Tip has been able to nudge the door open and smell in the pantry. He found two 50-pound bags of dog food. <laughs> he did a good job on them. We come home and he's in the middle of the floor, kind of shaped all round, <laughs> not moving, just looking at us. Couldn't stop himself. His nose just brought him to the bag and he ate it. And so Walter and I said, we're going to have to stop him from doing this some way. We're going to have to create a better barrier. And so Walter brought this plastic container from the store to put the dog food in, this heavy, hard plastic container with a plastic top on it. And so I came home one day, and the plastic container was by the refrigerator. The plastic container is about three times the size of the dog. But somehow it got out of the pantry and all the way across the floor to where the refrigerator was. And when you looked at it even more closely, you noticed that the corners of the container were completely <laughs> chewed off. If, if, he had, if he had bit the middle where the latch was, he would have had his little round belly again. And so, but we thought we had it fixed, right? He's following his nose instead of any other kind of reason. Even memory of having that big belly and not being able to move. And so then what happens is he decides that there's milk bones on the second shelf. <laughs> and so we come back the next day, and again, that big old fat belly dog sitting in the middle, not able to move because he ate a box of milk bones. <laughs> you know, I don't think humans are too different from dogs. I think sometimes 
we just get a scent of something that just makes our brain go away, and we just run after whatever it is. Makes us run to the refrigerator and get that credit card out of the ice. Makes us just do things that we've tried we won't do right now. You know, I don't know what part of your body is ruling you today, but you may have been led quite a few places, you know, because temptation is just a part of our life. There's lots of ways we can choose to live. And the people of Corinth knew it. Corinth was the big city. It was the port city of that day. Everything you wanted, you could find. If you were going to have a Republican or Democrat convention, that's where you'd go. And then the publicity around what everyone did crazy would be on the news because that was what Corinth was. So this is who Paul is writing to. People of Corinth who knew this way of life were trying to be faithful Christians. And in the midst of trying to be faithful Christians, their world around them wasn't helping because their world around them was the same as it had always been. And so they're trying hard. So Paul is tell them, telling them, you know, you're tempted, but you're not tempted in any way no one else is. And open up your arms and eyes and heart because God will be with you in the temptation to help you make it through. So this is what this passage in Corinthians is about to the Corinthians. It's not about tragic hardship in our lives. It's about our own personal journey with temptation and releasing it. The word that Paul uses in this section can mean tempted, but it also can mean tested. You know? But what does it mean if we say to someone, God won't give you more than you can handle? What are we saying about God? And particularly when it's a tragedy, are we saying God gives you this tragedy? But I can be separate from you because it's not happened to me. And I might not want to be too close because that'll make it too uncomfortable. And then I might realize that it can happen to any of us. So that passage doesn't necessarily help people when they're having hard times, when life is testing them and they need our love and care. In the uh, Lord's Prayer, there's the passage in the King James Version that you probably learned as kids one time or another. If you're old enough, um, give us this day our lady bread and forgive us our debts. I always like trespasses, but this is the Bible in the King James Version. As we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. Y'all remember that phrase? Lead us not to temptation. Well, when scholars look at this scripture and they look at the word and what it means in it, it actually is translated better as save us from the time of trial. If you look at the next version, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. What does it mean if we say God leads us into bad things? Versus the more accurate Hebrew, God saves us. God's with us in all that is challenging in our life. God save us from the time of trial because surely the time of trial will come. Surely it will. So there's a theological challenge if we say God gives you all of these things when really God wants to be in the middle of your life going through all these things with you. The promise is not that we won't have those hard times. The promise is that God is going to be our help and strength in the middle of all of it. You may know the Psalm 23, and you may know that famous verse, even through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. 
I will be with you even then. That's the promise that we have in the scripture. That's the promise. It's the promise that says God isn't a puppet master that's making you choose or not choose by the dress or anything else. God is not the puppet master of your life. God is there in and with you through it all. Even holding tight to you when you make the worst decision of your life. Present for the whole thing. Now, the second part of this is sometimes when we say this people and leave real fast so we can feel better, we forget the most important question. Do you need any help? How can I be with you in this? We're sometimes so afraid we're not able to fix the whole thing, we don't even want to try to do a little bit. And maybe a little bit is all that's necessary to give someone hope for the next day. Just a little bit. Our church in Louisiana in Baton Rouge, MCC Baton Rouge, uh, had 25% of its congregation flooded out this last week. The church itself didn't get water in it, but 25%, can you imagine one-fourth of this group here are under water um, in Baton Rouge? The pastor's street, his house, there's a picture, that's his street with his house. That's Keith's home, Reverend Keith. And as you look at that, you just think, oh, my goodness. I really just want to say, God won't give you more than you can handle, Keith. Bye-bye. Think that's going to be helpful to him and to his congregation? And the next picture, Keith found this wonderful songbook that was his mother's where the typed hymns are in there. She used it her whole life. It's destroyed. It's gone. They flipped through pages of it before he was going to throw it out. He did get some help in the form of congregants and other folks, and, you know, there was another drag queen that showed up. <laughs> you know? I don't think that's a hair dryer or a high heel he's using, but getting to work on cleaning the space up. We can help or choose not to help. This is our sister church. Our church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, sent a team over this week, and they pulled up carpet and sheetrock out, and we're so thankful for their work. But you can also help. And I believe the gospel asks us to help, not to say things to keep us separate from helping others. And so there's two ways you can help. One way is by donating, and they are, have on their website a PayPal button, and you can go to that, and you can give to them. Make sure you say flood relief. Another thing you can do is mail a check to them. Make sure you put flood relief on the uh, memo line. This will be up at the end of the service. You can see this again. And also, what they would like for you to do is to consider volunteering. You can call the church and find the best time and what they need if you have time to get over to Baton Rouge and assist them in some way, because this is devastating. We might want to say, nothing happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason, Keith. God will help you. You can help yourself. Or we might want to say, you know, God's not going to give you anything more than you can handle. But maybe what God's asking us to say is, God will help you with all that's given you. God will help you with all that's given you. And part of what God has given you is each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>